Hi, my name is Pastor Scott. My wife and I, Kelly, we serve as the lead pastors of the Midtown location of Our Savior's Church. And we just want to welcome you today, wherever you're watching from, uh, from all the different OSC campuses, from Broussard all the way to Opelousas. Thank you for tuning in today. I've got a word from the Word of God for you today that is going to help you tremendously in the season that you're in. Uh, in this season, I know there's a lot of uncertainty. I know a lot of you guys are feeling a lot of pressure, and you've got a lot of questions going on right now in your mind because of the cultural issues that are in front of us. And I just want you guys to know, we are praying for you. We are Thanking God every day for the faithfulness that we're seeing in your lives. Thank you for watching every single weekend as you tune in to hear the word of God. But in these times that we're living in, these times of great uncertainty, I know that many of you, you are, well, you got a lot of questions that you want answered. If you're anything like me, well, you want those questions answered before you get peace. But the truth of the matter is, there are some questions that can be answered, but there are many that, well, won't be answered this side of heaven. If you're anything like me, you're in this season going, hey, when is corona? When is a corona crisis going to come to an end? And the answer is, if we're honest, we don't know. Maybe you're asking, well, when is the economy going to return to normal? And the answer is, we don't really know. As a matter of fact, there are few things in this life that we can know for certain. But today, as we hop back into our message series entitled, In But Not Of, we are going to look at what the Word of God says. And we're going to look at what the Word of God says about what we can be sure of. In an age and a time of uncertainty, the Word of God speaks very clearly about one thing in particular that you can be assured of no matter where you are, no matter who you are. And so if you have your Bible, open to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. We're also going to have this passage on the screen as well. But go ahead and open your Bible if you have it. We're going to look through 1 John at several passages, but we're also going to go to Paul uh, for just a few minutes as well. But here is our theme passage for our time together. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. John writes this, I write these things to you, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now that's a powerful passage. He said, in the midst of all the things that you can't know, here's one thing that I want you to know. I want you to know, my friends, that you have eternal life. I don't want there to be any question. I want this issue to be settled in your heart and in your mind. When we have assurance of this great promise, we will walk through life boldly with confidence, fully assured of God's plans and purposes for our lives. But the question I want to ask you right now is, do you have eternal life? Do you have assurance of eternal life? Now, some of you might jump out and say, Pastor Scott, absolutely. I know I have it. I know I'm going to heaven. I know God lives in me 100%, no question. But others of you who are watching right now, you would say something like, uh, I think I do. I'm pretty sure I do, but you don't have full confidence. Well, this is a question that we got to get right. God doesn't want you to be unsure. He wants you to be certain. And this is a, a question that we got to get right now because it's been said that eternity is way too long to be wrong. Let me say it one more time. Eternity is way too long for us to be wrong about this question of eternal life and our relationship 
with God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says this, test yourselves. Let me say it again. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you unless indeed you fail to pass or to meet the test. In Philippians 2.12, Paul writes this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says this, Work out, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work it out. He says I want you to test yourself. Because the truth is, I can give you assurance of your salvation. Your pastor can give you assurance of eternal life. But if God hasn't given you that assurance, then you can't have it. But on the other hand, if God through his word gives you assurance, then it doesn't matter what comes against you. It doesn't matter who stands against you. If God is on your side, who in the world can actually truly be against you? I love that promise in Scripture. If God is on our side... It doesn't matter what's in front of us. It doesn't matter who our enemies are because God is with us and in us. But God wants you, he wants me to have assurance that we are truly in relationship with him, which means this. It means that we, we have to have a sober judgment of ourselves. We have to look at our lives. We have to test ourselves to see if there are any cracks. We have to test our faith to see if there are any fractures or any flaws, if there is anything impure about our faith. And so the Bible wants us to take this matter very, very seriously, to make sure that our assurance is based on God's promises, not our presumption. And so as you're watching right now, there are at least three types of people, at least three types in the church today. First of all, and you can see where you fit here. First of all, there are some who have assurance of eternal life, but shouldn't. Say, Pastor Scott, it sounds kind of hard. What do you mean by that? I'm going to come back in just a second. Number two, some who don't have assurance but should. And then finally, number three, some who have assurance of eternal life and you have it for the right reasons. Let me start with this first category. I said that there are some who have assurance of eternal life, some who have assurance that they're going to heaven, but they shouldn't have that assurance. Pastor Scott, explain that, because that sounds kind of hard. Well, there are some, and maybe this is you, as as you're watching, just evaluate yourself by this. There are some who think, well, I'm good. I know I've got eternal life. I'm going to heaven, and I know that I am because, well, I said a prayer. Years ago, or maybe months ago, I said the prayer. I did it in church. I did it at the Midtown campus, and I know that I'm going to heaven. Some of you think, well, yeah, I I know I have assurance as I consider my life. I I know that heaven is my ultimate home because, well, I got baptized, because I professed faith in Jesus at some point. Now, listen to me. If you've done that, obviously, praise God that you made some kind of confession or profession that you placed your faith in Jesus, or at least that you've had that moment, okay? So I do not want to discount any spiritual moment you've had with God, any, any moment of intimacy, any moment where you felt his presence and confessed him in some way. But the Bible tells us that our assurance should not be based upon a past profession alone. 
that a past profession of faith by itself does not and should not give us present assurance of our salvation. So it's not just about what we professed in the past, though that's a good start. It's about what I'm currently professing right now in my life. And so I like to say it this way. It's not just about what you professed. It's about what you currently possess. And the question is, do you possess true biblical faith? Do you truly believe in Jesus? That's the first question. Number two, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe his word? Do you believe every word is true? What he says about you, what he says about your future, what he says about the world, do you believe Jesus? That's a very important question. Because when you look to Jesus and you believe in Jesus in the past and right now in the present and you keep on looking to him, you can be assured that you have eternal life. But the question is, do you possess the real thing? Do you possess true biblical faith? I like to say it this way. If belief is the root, then obedience is the fruit. So you're not saved or born again You don't become a child of God by your works, by your obedience of doing things. You are are saved and you are set apart for all eternity long because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do to add to his finished work on the cross. But when you believe in him and you trust him and you look to his cross and you look to his blood and his presence is in your life, that is going to have a dramatic effect on the way you think and on the way that you live. And if there's no fruit, there's probably no root. And so we have to look at our own lives. I look at my life every single day and I'm examining myself and I don't ever wanna say, well, I know I'm saved today because I said a prayer 20 years ago. Praise God I did that. But the way I know I'm born again today is that I'm walking with God in faith, trusting his word as I'm close to him as his spirit fills me, then that has a a dramatic effect on every area of my life. And I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, a true Christian, that you're going to be perfect, that you're not going to make mistakes. You will, I promise you. I like to say it this way, sanctification, which is a big church word, it basically means it involves the process whereby Christians become less and less of a contradiction. We're all works in progress. We're all under construction. But if you've truly possessed and truly professed, rather, saving faith, if you've really got it, it's going to change your mind, your desires, and your life at some level. Listen to what John says in 1 John 1.5. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, here it is. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, do you see that that truth right here in Scripture, that it's not just about what you say. It's not just the talk. It's about the way we walk. He said, if we say we have fellowship, we can say it this way. If we profess to have faith in Christ, but we walk in a way that's contrary to his word, Well, John, who, you know, he's the apostle of love and he's so, you know, patient and and kind throughout the Bible. Here, he just speaks the truth to us. He gets right up in our world and he said, we're lying. If we say one thing, 
but walk in a different way. We're liars. And basically John's saying there's something wrong. You've got to look at your faith in, in your life and you've got to look closely to see if there's true evidence that you're truly born of God. And if there's darkness in your life, and if I am living in darkness on a continual basis, then I've got to take a step back, and, and I've got to ask the question, have I really truly believed in Jesus and surrendered my life to him? But here John says that God is light. God is light. There's no darkness in God whatsoever, which basically means that God is the source of all righteousness, the source of all truth. And when you enter into a relationship with God, you walk in the light with him, you walk in the truth, you walk uprightly, obeying his word, and walking in alignment with his purposes. You're in the light today if you're a believer. But here John says that you can't have both light and darkness at the same time. <laughs> if you claim to be in the light, but you're living in darkness, that's a contradiction. Just recently, I went to brush my teeth as I got up in the morning, went through my routine. I opened the drawer, pulled out my, my toothbrush, and I went to get my toothpaste, the tube there, and, and I noticed that it was gone. And so naturally, I thought, well, the kids took my tube of toothpaste. And so I went over to my wife's side. I grabbed her toothpaste, brushed my teeth. It was all fine. Well, a day or two later, I went back to my drawer, and I looked for my toothbrush, and I noticed that there was a tube back in the drawer. And I'm like, well, praise God, my kids returned my tube. Well, I went to pick up that tube, and I turned it over. Thank God I looked at it. It said cortisone 10 on the tube, which is better than preparation H, but cortisone 10. And I'm really glad that I looked at that tube before I put it on my toothbrush to brush my teeth. How many of y'all know some things don't belong together? The same is true when it comes to our lives, that the light does not have fellowship with the darkness. The darkness does not have fellowship with the light. We are either in the truth or we are walking in darkness. And so John is right up in our world just challenging us, challenging us not to look back just at a time when we pray, but to look at the current, the current rhythm of our lives, how we're living, the way that we're walking. And here he says, if you find that you're in the darkness, and you're living that way, if I'm living that way, I can have no assurance that I'm truly in fellowship with God. This is the way I like to say it. We can enjoy the presence of God or the pleasures of sin, but we cannot have both at the same time. It's common for people to come to church on Sundays when we're gathered together, walk in, and as Pastor Joseph and the team are leading in worship, the music's great, the preaching hopefully is good. You're there, you're in the light. It's a church environment and people are there raising their hands and that is a form of light. But isn't it common for some to come to church to step into the light on Sunday, but then step back into the darkness and walk in the darkness on Monday throughout the rest of the week? But listen, my friends, God is not interested in weekend visits. He wants full-time custody. He is not after a weekend visitation. He is looking for full-time habitation. And part-time Christians cannot have full-time assurance of their salvation. Where do you stand as you evaluate yourself according to 1 John? God wants you to have assurance. Maybe you're in the darkness right now as you watch. Terrible sin. Walking in compromise. Well, 
That doesn't have to be the final say, the final word in your life. Today you can actually step out and come into the light. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that here in just a few minutes. But secondly, there are some of you here. Let me address a totally different category. Some of you here, you don't have assurance of eternal life, but you should. Let me say that one more time. You don't have it, but I'm going to show you that you should have it. Not because I want you to have it. Of course I do, but I'm going to give you biblical reasons why you really should have assurance of where you stand with God. Some people just question this because, well, they feel guilty. They question their eternal life because, well, they they feel ashamed of something that they've done. And maybe it's a person who stepped into darkness for a season. You've done, maybe you've done something awful. Maybe you, you've done something, you've violated your conscience, and you just feel so guilty. I have people come to me pretty regularly, and they say, Pastor Scott, I feel so guilty. And I just look at them, and I say, and? I, mean, I feel guilty because, well, I did this, I did that. And they'll talk about something awful that they've done. And, and I say, well, you're guilty and you feel this way because, well, you are. If you have sinned, if you stepped into the darkness, if you've done something that violates God's word, well, you should feel guilty. But some people, they walk in guilt even after they confess their sins to the Lord. Some people feel that way most of their Christian lives. Some people feel like no matter what they do, they can never measure up. Some people feel like they're just not truly forgiven. And for them, it's hard to have fellowship with a God when they feel like that God is always mad at them. How can you fellowship with a God that you feel like is always mad at you for the mistakes that you've made? And maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you've done something and you've, you've confessed it. You try to make it right. You've done everything you know to do, but you still feel guilty. Well, if you feel that guilt, that guilt is going to keep you from fellowship with God. That guilt is going to keep you from having assurance of your relationship with God. But listen, my friends, listen to me carefully. It's one thing to step into the darkness. It's another thing to walk in the darkness. Every single person, every single one of you watching right now, if you're a Christian, you have stepped into the darkness. In the last 20 years, I know I have. There have been moments I've compromised. I've done nothing that would disqualify me from preaching to you. But every day of my life, There have been moments when I've sinned in some way. And there have been some seasons in my life when I have stepped into the darkness just momentarily. But I love the promise in Jeremiah 32, 40. God says through the prophet that he's going to make an everlasting covenant with his people, that he's never going to stop doing good to them, that he's going to inspire them to fear him so that God's people never turn from him. Man, that's a great promise. I've stepped into the darkness before. But when I got there, I realized by the power of the Holy Spirit that there's nothing there for me. There's nothing for you in the darkness. When I've gone there, the Holy Spirit has quickened me and has reminded me that every good thing is found in the light in my walk with Jesus. And the conviction comes and the fear of the Lord comes. And the fear of the Lord will keep you in the will of the Lord. You say, Pastor God, how can I know that I'm born again? Well, one way that you can know is that when you sin, you hate your sin. You commit it, but you hate it. The Holy Spirit convicts you. And though you go into the darkness, you don't stay in the darkness. You go back to the light where you find forgiveness and fellowship with God once again. But listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 
1.7. We'll begin there, read a couple of verses. Listen to this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here's the key. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, that's a great promise. Confess basically means to say the same thing. You step into the darkness, you realize that that's darkness, that's sin. You're convicted by the Spirit. You go back to the light. When you go to the light, and the light of God's Word exposes the guilt and exposes the sin. Whenever God does that, don't downplay the sin. Don't disregard it. Own it right there on the spot. Own it. Confess it. And when you confess, you're saying, God, I'm saying the same thing about this sin. The same thing that you say. That's what I'm saying. And I'm also agreeing with you, God, that when I confess, your word says when I confess, not to a priest here on the earth, but to my high priest who's in heaven. When I confess to Jesus, your word says, God, that you will forgive me and you will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. That's a promise for you. That's a promise for me. You're going to sin. You're going to blow it. But thank God you have a Savior who welcomes you home, and when you run from the darkness back into the light, the Father is there with wide open arms. It doesn't matter how much you've blown it. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you run to him, you'll find grace, you'll find mercy, you'll find forgiveness. But here's what happens. Oftentimes, Christians go to the Lord. They confess their sin, and they leave that moment of confession still feeling guilty. I'm guilty of this. (laughs) I've confessed my sin to the Lord before, and I've left that moment of prayer or of confession, and I've still felt guilty. And let me just get down to the truth of the matter. After you confess your sins, if you still feel guilty for what you've done, that means you're calling God a liar and you're saying that he is unfaithful. Say, so what does that mean? Well, it says right here, if we confess, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you leave and you still feel guilty, you're saying that Jesus did not forgive you, that the Father did not forgive you. But the Bible says if you confess it, he will forgive you. And thank God, when Jesus died, he died for all of your sin. All the past, all the present, and all the future ones that you don't plan to commit, but that you will commit. He paid for them all. And that's why we say our sin, it was paid for, not in part, but the whole. All of it was nailed to the cross. Therefore, you don't have to bear that guilt and that shame any longer. Because if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Full pardon. Full pardon leads to full assurance and complete peace. Do you feel forgiven today? You say, I don't know. I don't know. My feelings come and go. Well, that's why you can't, you can't build your life on how you feel. You have to build your life on what God's Word says. Finally, the passage I'm about to read to you is like the John 
3.16 of 1 John. But in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, here's what he says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, I love the way he writes. He said, I'm writing these things to you, my little children. There's compassion in his heart. He said, I'm writing to you. I know you're frail. I know that, that you can take these things too harshly, but my little children, I'm writing these things because, first of all, I want you to know that you don't have to sin. If you're watching this, you need to know that you don't have to sin. Sometimes we just make up our minds that, well, I've always been this way, so that means I'm always going to be this way. No, Jesus Christ died to forgive you, but he also died to break the curse, to break the power, not just the penalty, but the power of sin. And so you don't have to continue sinning the way you are. You can stop by the power of God. But nonetheless, John is saying you're still going to blow it. You're still going to blow it. On your best day, you're still going to blow it. And he, and he says this, he implies, well, we do sin. We are going to step at times into the darkness. We're not going to walk in the darkness as a way of life. We're going to step there. And, but, but, and, and when we do, here's the good news, that, that we have an advocate. We have someone there who will stand by us, almost like a defense attorney. Because see, apart from Jesus, when you sin and when I sin, apart from him, we're going into the courtroom we're standing before the judge and the jury. And if you're to look in, in, into your own life, if you're to look into my, my life, you're, you're going to find piles of evidence that prove my guilt. And I can find piles of evidence that prove your guilt. As we enter into the courtroom, there we are, guilty. We're condemned by our sin. We're condemned in our sin. And apart from Jesus, we have absolutely no hope. We stand worthy of punishment and death. But here's the good news. John says one more time, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love this word. If you're taking notes, circle uh, this word in your Bible or write it in your notepad, advocate. You have an advocate with the Father, one who stands by your side, a defense attorney that pleads your cause and your case. You say, Pastor Scott, what does that mean? It means this. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8, 33 through 34. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed He's interceding for us. You say, what is he interceding? What is he saying to the Father? Well, I don't know all the details, but it's probably something like this. Father, I've died on the cross. I've shed my blood. I've given it all for the sin of the world. Those who believe in me are forgiven. They're pardoned. They are free from guilt, from the law of sin and death. Though by nature, they're guilty because of my blood, they are now innocent. Jesus pleads your cause to the Father. 
He pleads your case. And last time I checked in scripture and all throughout history, there've been many sinners who've been in the courtroom of God, but everyone who confesses their sin to their advocate Jesus gets his legal representation in my Messiah, your Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's never lost a case, not one case in his entire life, in his entire heavenly career. He lives to make intercession for you. He shed his blood for you. In his body on the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. He took on your punishment and mine. You say, well, I want justice. I do too, but we have to clarify what we mean by that. Because if you got God's justice and justice alone, all you would get is an eternity in hell. But thank God we have an advocate. Thank God we have Jesus who came from heaven to the earth, who died in our place, who paid for all of our sin there on that cross. It was on the cross where God's wrath was poured out. And because wrath was poured out, justice was upheld, and now mercy can be released to everyone who confesses their sin to him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. This is Paul speaking, Paul writing. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In first century culture, when individuals were crucified, it was common for a list of the guilty person's crimes to be nailed to the cross whenever they were punished in that manner. And the same is true when it comes to our crime against heaven and against God. Every single offense, every single sin, the Bible says, was nailed to the cross in Jesus. When Jesus went up on the cross, died there for you, there was a long list. There was a bill of debt that included, well, all the guilt, all the sin that involves our pride, our lust, anger, immorality, murder, which involves abortion, all the different sins that you can think of. Every single one of them he paid for in full. And the proof of that purchase is the word of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we have the gospel message which assures us that all of our debt is paid. The entire debt, the, 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 the mound of evidence that stood against us is now erased, we are forgiven, and today we're not just forgiven, we also stand righteous before God. Jesus, he got our sin, and we get his righteousness. Man, there's no better news than that. So as you're watching right now, as we conclude, I want to ask you, I want to ask you this question one more time. How do you know if you have eternal life? How do you know? Well, we can make things very complicated in the church. But the biblical message is so crystal clear. You obtain eternal life by believing in Jesus. He paid the price. That's how you know. That's how you know. If you look to Jesus, 
You believe his word. You believe what he's done for you. If you're looking and you keep on looking, you're trusting him, you can know right now that you have eternal life. And the question is, not just did you believe, it's do you believe? Do you? Because remember, it's not just a past profession of faith. It's a present possession of true biblical faith. Remember this, belief is the root, but obedience is the fruit. You don't obey the commandments of God to get saved. You obey them because you are saved. It's the natural overflow of believing Jesus and believing his word. And belief will always determine your behavior. But the question is, do you believe? If you believe, and if you're seeing God work in your life, you're seeing the evidence and that fruit brought forth, then you can have assurance right now that you're born again, that you're a child of God. But right now, I want you to take inventory. I want you to evaluate yourself based on what God has said from his word. Are you a child of God? Are you born again? Many of you are you're watching, you're listening, and you're like, yes, I know I am. I know I am. And you have confidence, you have assurance. But others, you're, you're watching, you're listening, and you, right now you're, you're not so sure. Or maybe you're thinking, no, I, I don't think I am. You're not just unsure. Maybe you're certain you don't have eternal life and that you're not born again. Well, right now I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel to place your faith in Jesus, to place your trust in him, because I want you to have eternal life. In the midst of a world that's so uncertain, in the midst of a culture that's so crazy, with so many question marks, with so much anxiety and so much fear, there's one thing that God wants you to settle today, and that's eternal life. The question of whether you're born again or not right now, I want you to settle that. Say, Pastor God, how do I do that? How do I settle that? Well, it's as simple as ABC. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, you have to admit that you've been in the darkness. You have to admit that you're a sinner. And B, you've got to believe that Jesus died for your sin so you would not die in your sin. And C, you have to confess Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of your life, to place your trust in Him and in Him alone to save you. If you've done that already, you know, you can know that you're born again because if you've really done this, if you've truly turned to Jesus, then your life has changed. You can look at your profession and you can look at your life and have great assurance that you're born again. But right now, I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and the prayer doesn't save you. These words that I'm going to give you to pray with me, just verbalize what I believe is going on in your heart right now. Your heart's about to beat out of your chest because you realize you've been in the darkness, but you want to get in the light and you want to, you want to become a born again child of God. If that's you right now, I want you just to close your eyes with me. And as you close your eyes, I want to remind you of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter three. He said to him that no man can see the kingdom of God. No man can enter the kingdom of God unless or until that person is born again, born from above. He said, it just can't happen. 
But as you've been listening to my words, the Holy Spirit has stirred up your heart. He's stirred up your heart right now. I'm going to give you this profession. And if you believe in Jesus, if you want eternal life, I want you right where you are to say this with me at home. If you're in the car, it doesn't matter. Say this with me. If you want a relationship with the Lord, say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. Say this with me. I believe that you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and relationship with their Father. Say this with me. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from sin because I'm born again. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and the Holy Spirit is my helper. And thank God, heaven is now my home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed to be born again with Dr. Scott, congratulations. I believe you've just made the best decision of your life. We would love to help you with your next step. All you have to do is text the word CONNECTOSC to 41411 and someone from our team will reach out to you to help you with your next steps. Finally, thank you for your continued faithful giving and generosity during this crucial time. If you would like to partner with us, there are three ways to give. You can text OSC family to the number 77977. You can go online at oursaviorschurch.com and click give, or you can mail in to the address on the screen. Thank you again. God bless, and we'll see you next week.